Hello, this is The Game Podcast from The Times and I'm Natalie Sawyer. Joining Gregor Robertson and I today, it is Tom Roddy. Gregor and Tom, afternoon to you. How are you, Tom? Yeah, very good, thanks. Um, a bit, bit emotionally drained after being at uh, being at the Hawthorns last night and all the changes that were going on. I could barely keep up with it all. Yeah, I'm, I can imagine that. Um, we will talk about it in more detail, of course, but... Were you late getting out? What what was it like? Were, the, were you there for the celebrations? Yeah, um, it was funny actually because you're the, obviously we file a, a, a first edition um, on the whistle, and then you've got a second edition, which is after the managers have all spoken and everything. And you you kind of writing up your second piece, and you can hear first of all you start to hear the tooting of the car horns as, as people started to come down and you sort of expected them to. And but by the time I was leaving, um, we were shuttled out a little back entrance and um, Billich had actually come out to the window and all these, just saw all these fans running over to this window and literally trying to climb up to get to him um, and, and chanting his name, which I, I know must, um, must hurt a little bit for you today, Nat. Hey, hey, we live to fight another day. Absolutely. Let's not, let's not worry about us just yet. Again, we will talk about Brentford in, in a little while. But, Gregor, how are you? I'm good, yeah. I'm the same. A bit kind of drained today after. Yeah. I, I wasn't at a game, but I had kind of every single screen in my household was set up to watch one game or another or uh, Jeff Sterling and all them screaming at every goal going in. So it was great fun. Absolutely wild. Wasn't it? Oh, it was. It was a night of high drama. It really was. Nothing that we wouldn't expect, though, I suppose, from the championship, Gregor. Indeed, yeah. I mean, I've written a piece today, and sometimes you can, as a journalist, you can, you can, uh, you can go overboard about things and indulge in hyperbole a bit. And I always say the championship's the the best league in the world, the most entertaining and unpredictable. And people say, oh, "Come on, you know, the Premier League's better," but it's it's the best league in the world. There's yeah. so you know for. For just pure competition and, as I say, the, the jeopardy as well. You know, I think there was, what was there, 12 games and 11 of them had something riding on the outcome yesterday, on the last day of the season. It's remarkable. Yeah, it was. It was quite incredible. And we have got loads coming up for you as we find out what the hell happened to Gregor's old side, Nottingham Forest. And we'll how Say that again. And we'll hand out an award for unsung Premier League player of the season. Oh, no. Here we go. I've got to read this. But first, we're going to talk West Brom. And Brentford. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. West Bromwich Albion will be playing Premier League football next season after a dramatic finale to the championship season saw them draw 2-2 against QPR, which was enough to seal second place and automatic promotion. Ryan Manning had put QPR ahead before Albion turned it around with goals either side of the break from Grady Dingana and Callum Robinson. Eberichi Eze's stunning equaliser earned Rangers a point but was not enough to deny Albion a record fifth promotion to the Premier League thanks to Brentford's home defeat to Barnsley. Tom, as we mentioned, you were at that game then at the Hawthorns. What what were you hearing in terms of the players getting any kind of feedback on what was going on in that game at Brentford? 
I think it was it was mainly coming from Bilic, really. He his mm-hmm. his analysts behind him um, were keep, keeping him up to date. That was the plan. Um, that was the plan heading into the game. That his analysts, I mean, especially as there's, there's so little to uh, to analyse in a in a game end of season game. Um, but they were keeping him up to date with what was going on at Griffin Park. So much so that in the in the final 15 minutes within within 30 seconds you had Billich screaming at Kyle Bartley to to get up the field because he felt West Brom had to win the game so he's screaming at him to get up and then he's literally stumbling onto the pitch yelling at him to get back because he's heard <laughs> about Bartley taking the lead so they were they were they were very in tune with what was going in and um for for a game that had no fans, it was just, there was just this incredible amount of tension. And of course, mm. I mean, we've heard Billich talking in these past few weeks about how he's a how he's had to be a psycho uh, psychologist and all this sort of anxiety. But he was he was really trying to build an aura of calmness and confidence, but that that quickly was erased. And I know Tom, you mentioned the celebrations in particular outside with the fans sort of gathering. But what were they like inside the in the empty stadium when that final whistle went? How did the players react? That was that was really quite strange because, of course, we knowing that Barnsley were ahead, uh, Brentford, we you kind of expected them to. You, you knew they were up, or you're pretty certain that they were up. Um, it, it would have had to have been an incredible turnaround for them not. But there was this absolute silence as the whistle went and, and kind of a stillness as the players walked, as, as the kind of coaching staff walked onto the field. And they all sort of huddled around the technical area. And so suddenly, you, especially because it's an empty stadium, which is a, a bizarre atmosphere anyway, you heard this, this shriek come and I, I, it was Callum Robinson who who was playing in it was his first start in six games and what was a pretty savvy move from from Billich um, and they all just started running onto the field and um, uh, as I was saying uh, earlier that it it's it, it, it's funny because they just don't know they they kind of it was like they didn't know how to react because there's no fans there they were just running aimlessly. Um, but I don't think it really mattered. I don't think they were they were too bothered by it. But you you kind of as as I said, you had the fans coming down, driving down, and and they got to celebrate with them. They went out to the glass and was sort of celebrating in front of them. Um, I think it was just complete relief as well. There was there was this moment below us were where the broadcast interviews were being conducted, and the celebrations were happening at the far end of the ground and. Jake Livermore was one of the players who was brought over to do an interview. They were coming across one by one. And Livermore sort of, he was so slow and he was just taking it in. He was so emotional and you could kind of see that the tears were coming. And I think it was just a sort of explosion of relief, really, because, I mean, we've seen and we've spoken in the last few weeks about how it's been in during since the restart. Um, I think it was just probably a bit of emotional exhaustion, really. But it showed how much it meant. I'm sure it did. Uh, And Gregor, as it finished then, Leeds, we know, top of the pile as champions. They finished 10 points clear of West Brom in the end, who themselves uh, cemented that second position with the result against QPR, as well as other factors, including the 
Brentford and, and Fulham results. But uh, Brentford in the end finishing third, two points off that second automatic spot. When you look at that West Brom team, when you consider the championship as a whole, were they the second best team in the league? Yes, I mean, cemented is definitely not the right word to use for, for the, way that, the way that they finished. They didn't win any of the last four games. Yeah. It's ridiculous. And, like, the way the form Brentford were in, they won seven in a row after the the start of the restart. And then, you know, Stoke and Barnsley, if they'd won one of those games, they would... I know we're going to come to this, and I don't want to rub salt into the wounds now. But it means, you know, West Brom have stumbled over the line here. Like, Mm. you know, they've been very fortunate, I think. That being said, they've lost the fewest number of games of any team in the league, lost seven seven times a season, scored the same number of of goals as Leeds, um, and they were in the the top two for the majority of the season. It's just when the pressure really kind of spiked in these these recent weeks, they struggled. Um, But they're not alone in that, you know, we're going to talk about a lot of teams who struggled with the pressure this, uh, Mm. particularly last night. So, I mean, there's two ways of looking at it. Like I say, they were, they were up there all, all season. They had, they were never, they were never a team that you really enjoyed watching that much, despite the fact they scored a lot of goals. They were pretty functional rather than kind of free flowing football, like a Brentford or a Fulham in their, in their pomp or Leeds, obviously. Um, but they've been they've, they've they've got the job done, and at the end of the season, when the you know when you played forty six games, the the table doesn't lie. Mm, and interesting, speaking to one of their players, Romain Sawyer's earlier on today, he was talking about how vital it was that the points they'd collected pre lockdown just held them in good stead. And and as you mentioned, you know, to not win any of their last four but still get promoted just goes to show the great work they had done before the lockdown happened. Um, Tom. Obviously, you were there, as you mentioned. From what you've seen, do you think this West Brom squad's good enough to stay up in the Premier League? Because, of course, we know that they have become a bit of a yo-yo club. This is their record fifth promotion, after all. Yeah, I'm, 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 I haven't been convinced um, from what I, oh, I have seen that they'd stay up next year, um, especially after, like Gregor said, it, it was an absolute stumble over the line. It, it really was. Um, so that doesn't really convince you. I mean, the fact, I think Grady Diangana, getting him to stick around would be key to it. Um, he was he was brilliant last night uh, and, and has been for, for much of the season, um, being on loan from West Ham. And, of course, Callum Robinson as well. He, he showed last night the, the potential that he's got. Um, I think the problem is why I personally have been was more excited about Brentford is because there was a freshness to them. And, and West Brom, this team of players with experience from the Premier League that possibly <laughs> got them over the line uh, slowly, um, but it, I don't know. I just don't think it, it, they have enough freshness in there at the moment. But mm. I think the interesting thing was the way Billich spoke at the end, looking ahead, in that he suggested there wouldn't be a whole lot of cha- change at the club. He said that um, the players that they do have are more suited to the, the Premier League. Um, and he said, you know, you only have to look at the teams that went up last year to to realise that you need to adapt, but you don't need mass change. And I suppose he's look, he's looking at Sheffield United and what they've done, um, and Villa, who are obviously could be coming back straight back down again, but spent a hell of a lot of money. 
Whilst West Brom celebrated at the Hawthorns, there was anguish at Griffin Park as Brentford missed the chance to leapfrog Albion into second place. A win for Brentford would have sealed automatic promotion, but instead Barnsley scored an injury time winner to keep them up and resign Brentford to the playoffs. Now, having won eight successive games to give themselves a shot at the top two, Brentford needed four points from their final two games to finish second after West Brom had lost at Huddersfield on Friday. But back-to-back defeats means Thomas Frank's side will now face Swansea in the playoff semi-finals as they bid to reach the top flight for the first time in 73 years. Gregor, let's discuss my beloved team which is very (laughs) painful to do this but what I want to know is somebody that's played the game at a very high level do teams bottle it is there such a thing as bottling it when it comes to to football teams and could that be what's happened with Brentford of course that exists but I think you know I think it's also it can often be simplistic you know they 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 had opportunities in the game against Stoke. I think Mbwemo had a really good chance at the back post, and you know there's little fine margins that if things go differently, um, you know it could be a completely different story. And you have got to put this in the context of, as I say, they won seven games in a row from the restart. So the fact that they were in this position was a minor miracle in itself. Mm-hmm. So you know there are positives you have to take from it, but there's no doubting that the the psychology has shifted. Brentford's Momentum has evaporated. Uh, Swansea—they're <laughs> like—they've come from nowhere, and they have nothing to lose. That's the kind of feeling that they must have around that place now. Cardiff have got the wind in their sails. Um, Fulham—I don't know. Fulham have just never really had any momentum. They seem to win a few mm-hmm. and then draw, and they—you know—they gave themselves an opportunity at Wigan, and they—they they didn't do their side of the bargain as well. So, you know, I, but I feel that. This is it could be damaging for Brentford the way that these the, also the fact that there's so little time you know they start in three days the players start in three days there's so little time for you to Thomas Frank said we need to sit down and get this out of our heads and they have to do that but it's not easy. But is there not on the flip side you could say they've got no time to dwell on it they've got to move on because the turnaround is so quick. Maybe yeah you could look at it. if you're, I'm if you're, trying if to you're desperate to look for the for the positives then I'll I go have with you. to. <laughs> Okay, yeah, yeah, no, it's going to work out well for them, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what do, what do you think, Tom? Obviously, we've discussed the permutations. It could have been Brentford's promotion had results gone their way, had they have beaten Stoke, had they have beaten Barnsley. At one stage, even last night, they were in second place as, as West Brom were losing to, to QPR. Do you think that missing out on automatic promotion could affect them in the playoffs? Yeah, I think I actually do agree with you, Nat, in terms of um, the fact that it's just going to be a, such a quick turnaround. I think you can forget about it pretty quickly. Um, but I think the, the, the Stoke game is huge. If, if it had been reversed, if it had been reversed teams last night, and even however good QPR were at West Brom, and they were they were good. Um, However good they were, if West Brom had been facing Barnsley, who had just so much to play for, you saw the celebrations at the end and the motivation they had for that game, then we could be talking about Brentford being the Premier League club today. Um, I think the thing with the playoffs as well is that it can be, a lot of it can be about, these are going to be cage games, they always are, aren't they? And they can be a lot about individual moments of brilliance, players that change the game. And, and of course, you, you look at Fulham and they've got someone like Mitrovic, who's a Premier League striker. But I still think Brentford have those players. 
um, you know, looking at Ben Rama, Watkins, and Bueno, um, they they have those players. Uh, so it's, <laughs> I certainly don't think anything's anything's lost yet. But it's it's not the best. You need momentum, don't you? Hmm. The question is, should Brentford be worried about the playoffs after coming so close to automatic promotion? Uh, in the last three years, this is what's happened from those that have gone into the playoffs and their finishing positions. Last season, Aston Villa were promoted. They finished fifth. Previous season of 2018, Fulham were promoted after finishing third. And in 2017, Huddersfield were the promotion winners from the playoffs and they had finished fifth. So since the playoff format was introduced across the Football League in 1987, third place finishers have provided the highest number of playoff winners. See, I'm looking at any positive (laughs) omens, Gregor. Um, But obviously I know that momentum is so key in, in any in any sort of position of playoffs or, or even just in a regular league. But the, the playoffs can be a lottery, can't they, Gregor? Yeah, look, the, it's all about psychology, I think, with Brentford because they are the best team now in that group of, in that, of those four teams. They're the best team. Fulham have, you know, Fulham, I think, probably had the best squad of players on paper of any team in the division. But Brentford, on their day, will beat any of those those teams, I think. So... It is about them being able to rid that this kind of a, a sore week, a painful week, to be able to kind of rid that from their minds and get back, get getting back to playing the way they can. Um, and as I say, I don't think, you know, I think there was, I, mean, I think against Barnsley, Barnsley came out, flew at the traps in the first half, but there were chances for both teams, and mm. it could have been very different. And as, as I say, it was the same, same with Stoke. I think what you've, we've learned from this is that, you know, sometimes you can underestimate how strong and powerful the instinct to survive is for for these teams. You know, we looked at those games and you think, oh, they're playing Barnsley, who are kind of at the bottom of the table, or they were playing Stoke. Um, but they, you know, they were fighting for their lives. And so they, they were not, they were anything but easy games, despite the way, the way, the way they were positioned in the table. Mm. Um, and they were fighting for their lives. So, look, I think, as I say, if they can, if they can get beyond that in the next, in the next few days... Uh, Brentford are the best team of those four teams. So it is the playoffs for Brentford as they join Fulham, Cardiff and Swansea in the mix for a shot at glory at Wembley. But remarkably, there is no place for Nottingham Forest. Sabri Lamucci's side needed just a point at home to Stoke to seal a top six finish, having already missed a chance to seal their spot in Sunday's defeat to Barnsley. Yet again, Barnsley. But a late collapse and a 4-1 loss, along with Wednesday's defeat by three goals, as well as Swansea's 4-1 win at Reading, saw Forest drop down to seventh and out of the playoff spots. They have failed to win any of their final five games, and Forest fans, understandably, are not happy. So, Gregor, this is a club you spent some of your formative years as a footballer. Mm-hmm. Where did it all go wrong? <laughs> Uh, I mean, if there's anyone you can point in the kind of you can label bottlers, then it has to be Forrest because it's a remarkable, remarkable implosion. Um, yeah. You know, even before that, I think you go back further. It's like three wins in fifteen. So they were, very, you know, when the when the playoffs, uh, sorry, when re- the the league restarted, they still had a half a chance of of looking upwards. Absolutely. Um, and even as we say, they were what were they? I think it was. I think the game went on for ninety six minutes, so they were four minutes away uh, against Barnsley from from sealing it. They only needed a point, and Barnsley scored in the ninety second minute. So that was a kind of that was that was the first sort of implosion. And then 
last night, I mean, it's just remarkable. They even if they did lose, they just had to make sure that they weren't uh, wouldn't allow a, a swing of five goals of goal difference. Mm. And and this is a team that have have been good defensively. That's kind of they they're resolute. They're, they've got kind of you know solid build solid blocks from which they build, and they they they're another team that are kind of they're a bit like West Brom, and they're not always the easiest team to watch. They're very functional, but I watched them against Derby County a, a couple of weeks ago. It feels like about a couple of years ago now, but they they were brilliant, and they should have. You know, again, they've, they've conceded so many goals in injury time. I think it's six. I think it's six the season, just in injury time alone. So you know they had that kind of weakness beforehand, and it exploit <laughs> it came to the fore again. Um, but honestly, I really it's so hard to see how they come back from this now or how they respond because it's not just you know there's a quick quick turnaround before the the season starts, the next season starts. Sabri Lamucci's just signed a new two year contract. Uh, he was very very highly thought of, and the, this has felt like a the best opportunity and the best position for us have been in a long long time. And suddenly they look like you know everyone's everyone spent years singing leads are leads are, leads are falling apart again. I think we can tell who's going to replace them in that anthem. <laughs> I mean, the, the remarkable thing about all of this is that Forest at one stage were top of the table, albeit towards the earlier part of the season. And I think throughout the whole of 2020, they have never dipped outside of the the top six. Sabri Lamushi's appointment last summer to replace the departed club legend Martin O'Neill has been a positive one on the whole, you probably would say, for Forrest. The former France international transforming them into promotion contenders for, for much of this campaign. And they had key signings as well, such as goalkeeper Bryce Samba, midfielder Samba Sao and playmaker Thiago Silva. Yet the promotion challenge scenario is a familiar one for Forrest, whose playoff record is forgettable, having previously finished 7th, 8th and ninth to miss out over the past seven years. Gregor, you mentioned Lamushi's new deal that he'd signed do you actually expect him to see that out now yeah i mean i think it would be a, a big kind of knee-jerk reaction to to part company with him now especially after that and especially after what has been you know he came as you say he came in due, right in in pre-season uh after martin o'neill was dismissed he didn't have a, a great a kind of a lot of time to bed to bed in um and it has been a positive season he they, it's just they were still so well organised. That's kind of what their their uh, their reputation was and became this season. Um, you know, really solid and hard to beat and well drilled and and it just just completely fell apart. So I think really you're looking at the players. You're looking at their kind of characteristics, and he's going to be looking and seeing what what he needs to add to improve. But in terms of his job, you know, it wouldn't be a huge surprise either because Forrest under uh, Evangelos uh, Maranakis. I've not been scared to pull the trigger. Um, mm. So I think even if they were to get up to a poor start, then he's, he's, there's no doubt his standing has, has been affected by this. There was no less drama at the bottom of the championship last night. Barnsley's late, late winner at Brentford saw them pull off a miraculous escape and meant that Hull City and Charlton Athletic were joined in the bottom three by Wigan, who were deducted 12 points yesterday for going into administration this month. The Latics would still have avoided a drop had they managed to beat Fulham, but they were unable to find a winner despite creating numerous chances in a one-all draw. Boss Paul Cook admits he felt physically sick as the decision coupled with the result sealed his side's fate. But that might not be the end of the story as the Latics have appealed against that point penalty. Tom, if you were a Wigan supporter right now, 
how on earth would you be feeling? <laughs> uh, well, gutted simply doesn't really cover it, does it? Um, I, I can't imagine. Um, I mean, they were they were bottom at New Year. Uh, you think of all that's gone on, um, the changes of ownership and entering into administration, and and you think of what that would do and has done to that club off the field um and what paul cook has done galvanizing the side that that eight nil win the other week um with all that was going on for this to happen and and for it to be so close that the points deduction to do it is it i mean it, it, it it's such a killer blow um and it, it's just been awful to, to be honest it's been pretty awful dreadful handling all the way around. I mean, that you've got the fit and proper, and sorry, not from a Wigan perspective, from outside, because you've got that fit and proper director's test from the Football League um, just hasn't been strong enough. And you allow new owners to come in and then you punish them for it because they go into administration. And that's that's not been the, 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 the stalwarts of the club. That's not their fault and it's certainly not the fans fault um it's just so cruel and unfair mm. i mean that's the fans perspective what about a wigan player gregor i mean the the, the the line that jumped out from paul cook was you know you're saying that uh players in there feel like they've done something wrong and it's and that's very sad and he's right because wigan only leads and brentford took more points than wigan in 2020 they're one of the best teams of the last of the last half year, so uh, they've done nothing wrong. And you know, they, I was at the game against Charlton when they conceded, uh, and I think it was the ninety second minute, Macaulay Bond. You know that would have changed everything. So there's been such very fine margins, and they had, I think, they had six clean sheets since the restart as well. You know, they've been absolutely outstanding. So as a Wigan player, you would feel exactly the same. You'd feel gutted, uh, but you should not feel like you've done anything wrong. Uh, and I think really fans and players and everyone, anger should be turned on on the the, the owner who's done this. You know, mm-hmm. we've got a kind of mysterious owner of the football club based in the Far East who's made a very dubious decision to put the club into administration and the ramifications of that on people's lives in Wigan, people who work for the club, the players, people who play for them, supporters, everyone involved, the ramifications have been huge and that is not right. I mean, you're absolutely right. There should be no blame placed on those players who, let's not forget, have been playing with, what, 20% wage? Is that what it was? They were playing, being paid 20% believe, of their yeah. wages? I think, they were, I think they were only paid 20% last, oh. uh, last month, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's quite incredible to have even continued to do what they have been doing and, and doing their best to get out of this situation. Um, Tom, what do you make of the EFL's decision to impose the points deduction on this final day of the season? Uh, I mean, it's it's dreadful timing, isn't it? Um, I think, you know, uh, <laughs> I suppose it would have been even worse if it had come later on, given what had happened. It, the tension from last night would have stretched far beyond. But, I mean, I know G- Gerald Klasner, the the guy who's in charge of the administration, uh, the administrators, he... He's been he's been in constant communication with the EFL trying to get this resolved and there's good news by the sounds of things that they've got this preferred bidder. Um but it just it just been handled so so badly. Um and I don't see it reversing now, 
Um, I don't see how it can, even with the appeals process, I don't see how it can. Um, and it's such an expensive process as well. It's going to cost Wigan at least £200,000 to do it, to be able really? to appeal. Goodness me. Do, Gregor, do you echo what, what Tom is saying? Do you think the appeal could really be successful? No, because the, the grounds of the appeal is a force majeure, which means uh, that the circumstances that have arisen from coronavirus are the reason for the club entered administration, and that's simply not true. Mm. It's clear that something very dubious has, has happened here. And, you know, Gerald, uh, Gerald Krasner even suggested that they're going to hope to not even have to pay back the loan to the owner of the club. You know, he clearly thinks that something illegal is going on here. Um, you know, I don't know how, how a football club can expect to not repay a debt that large, I think it was 19 point something million. It's huge, huge amount. So, you know, there's a lot, I think there's a lot more to come out in the wash from this. Um, and, but I just feel that it's very unlikely that, that Wigan are going to be successful, um, which is, I don't, I honestly don't know how I feel about that. I think that, you know, if there's any circumstances that have ever arisen in any of these, these sort of, uh, these cases where a club goes into, goes into, into, financial difficulties then this is one where you really have huge sympathy for everyone except the owner of the football club because you know people often people football cl- people spend too much to to chase the dream of reaching the premier league and things like that and this is not really what what Wigan have done either it's just it seems like somebody has decided to pull the plug they don't want to fund it anymore and so that's that's down to the owners and the owners only Whatever happens, of course, it does seem balmy that we're still at this situation where an appeal has to be heard and that Wigan yeah. are waiting to find out the result of that. Barnsley are waiting to find out the result of that. And let's not even get into all the details of the other clubs who have other misconduct charges hanging over them. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books. Contacts. Calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Now, before we move on from the championship, we've got to mention a little bit of news that has emerged from Birmingham. Now, let me ask you both a question. What do these players have in common? Diego Maradona, Paolo Maldini, Johan Cruyff, and Jude Bellingham. 
does anyone care to, uh, you know, tell me? Thing is, there's no point you telling me that because I've already told you. We had a conversation <laughs> before we started recording this. But the, 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 what connects them all? I'm sorry, I'm laughing because I can't believe this has happened really. Is that Birmingham have announced they're going to retire 17-year-old Jude Bellingham's shirt number following his transfer to Borussia Dortmund. This is what a club statement has said on it. In such a remarkably short space of time, Jude has become an iconic figure at the Blues, showing what can be achieved through talent, hard work and dedication. His caring, humble and engaging off-the-field demeanour has also made him such an impressive role model. The 22 shirt has become synonymous with Jude. His rise to the first team aged just 16 years and 38 days and these qualities. And as such, the club have decided it would be fitting to retire this number, to remember one of our own and to inspire others. Ooh, retiring a shirt for a 17-year-old with four goals in 46 games in just the one season. Am I right to question this, Gregor? Has football gone mad? <laughs> the game is gone. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I do not know. You know, Birmingham have been, Birmingham have been absolutely outstanding in the way that they've kind of nurtured and developed Jude Bellingham. But it feels very much like they want to kind of, you know, they don't want to cut the umbilical cord here. They don't want to, you know, he's gone, but they don't want him to be forgotten. He started here and will always remember this. So, like, I think, uh, I think they're probably going to get some stick for this one. Tom, do, do you understand where they're coming from? Uh, it's 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 a it's a tad too far for me. I think um, <laughs> it it feels it feels like the kind of you know when we see um, abroad clubs who seem to be especially in Germany clubs that wish players well as they as they leave um, and and we kind of saw it with Chelsea and Eden Hazard to a smaller extent, but. It feels a little bit of that, you know, come come to us, this is the path. Um, it's, it seems to be like a selling tactic of we created this guy and they want to have as much noise around it as possible. Um, but no, I, 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 I don't care who wears the number 22 next year. No one. <laughs> I mean, it does seem a little bit odd, doesn't it? And and actually, you mentioned there about some of the stick they may get. Well, I'll just let you know that right now, trending on Twitter is he's 17. So I think you know what most people are saying. He's 17. <laughs> but anyhow, just to let you know that Diego Maradona's number 10 shirt at Napoli was retired. Paolo Maldini's number three shirt at Milan and uh, number 14 shirt from Ajax for Johan Cruyff was the other shirt that I've just mentioned that I've picked out that uh, were also retired. But Jude Bellingham is now amongst those great names as the number 22 is put on the shelf <laughs> at Birmingham. Uh, it's now award season in the football world, of course. And as the PFA and Football Writers Player of the Year Awards are handed out this week, we thought we'd have a little discussion about our own awards. But the top award seems to be a straight shootout between Liverpool skipper Jordan Henderson and uh, Manchester City's Kevin De Bruyne. So, Tom, let me come to you first. Are you Team Hendo or Team KDB? Uh, I think with Henderson, especially what he's done, some, some people would say that it doesn't matter what people do off the pitch. But I think with what Henderson did off the pitch um, during lockdown, raising all that money and doing the Players Together initiative, being the real head and spearhead of that um, was was in, was incredible. It was it was a remarkable effort, um, and he's a brilliant player as well. The story, um, you know, Ferguson talking about not his the the running gait that he has and, and not being good enough. Um, 
he, he's overcome all that and he's he's the leader of that team. Um, but I'm still with De Bruyne. Um, I think he's he he's the ultimate midfielder for me. He can just play absolutely anywhere. I mean, he I I think if if he'd had his way, he'd have had more time on the field recently, and he'd have surpassed Omri's twenty assist mark uh, for the state record um, already for sure. And I just think when I look at him, he reminds me of Steven Gerrard, but he he's got more. He's got even more to his game. Um, and I think we I think the last time I was on, we were talking about. David Silver having a statue and <laughs> I think De Bruyne would have to have an even bigger one. <laughs> so what about you, Gregor? Who are you opting for? Yeah, see, I am kind of one of the people who think that what people do off the pitch shouldn't matter, really. I think it's a football <laughs> award. Uh, you know, I, absolutely. I, I see that Henderson, Rashford, Sterling, these are, these are guys who are doing some, some brilliant things, especially during lockdown. Um, you know, raising their heads above the parapet and 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 lending their voice to big issues and their influence. So that that's that's great. But the, the, it's a football award. It's it's player of the year. So it should be about what what they did on the pitch. And it's it's been interesting. You know, Henderson. That's not to devalue what Henderson has done on the pitch because he's a leader. He's become a leader, and you've seen to to see his kind of development and growth uh, over the past. I don't know, six or seven years um, at Liverpool. It's been remarkable, um, and even you know, and 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 not even you know, it's not just leadership on the ball too. He's he's often someone who's who's springing those kind of diagonals for for the wingers running in off the line, and you know he's he's a he's a he's also an excellent player and and he's versatile. But you know, I, I, you could you were waiting for this, but Kevin De Bruyne is the <laughs> best is the best player in the league by by a long distance, I think. He's he's one of the best midfielders in the world, possibly the best midfielder in the world because of his all-round ability. And you know, Johnny Northcroft wrote a great piece about this in the Sunday Times. Um, he's basically laying out that point, and he was comparing him to all these different features. He's like Gerard; he charges forward like Gerard, but he crosses like David Beckham at pace. You know, he, and he's got a hammer shot. He's got everything. He's got absolutely everything. There's very few players as complete as Kevin De Bruyne is, so he has to win it. Okay, but what about other players who may have caught our eye for different reasons this season? James Gearbrand has been compiling his unsung Premier League eleven this week for the Times. But who would be our top unsung heroes of the season? Let me just run you through James Gearbrandt's unsung 11. He's gone for the Crystal Palace goalkeeper, Vicente Guaita. Uh, also, he's got the centre-backs of James Tarkovsky of Burnley, Connor Cody of Wolves and Victor Lindelof of Manchester United. There's a right wing back with George Baldock of Sheffield United, with a defensive midfielder of Wilfred Ndidi from Leicester. Oliver Norwood's is the central midfielder as well. He's, of course, from Sheffield United. Then we've got a left wing, wing back of Cesar Aspilicueta from Chelsea. Right wing, Emilio Buendia gets in from Norwich. The left wing is Jack Grealish of Villa. And up front is Richarlison for Everton. An interesting 11 that he's gone for. First of all, is that a strong 11 for you, Tom? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, he's, James has made some, you know, some really sort of savvy picks. He's got a balanced side as well, and um, I think Ndidi sticks out 
for me. I think he's been absolutely brilliant. Um, and it, I don't think he gets gets the credit he deserves at all. Um, you know, he stepped into N'Golo Kante's uh, shoes and he's he, he's had the most interceptions of, of any player in the Premier League this season. Um, and and he, he's, a, he's a key cog in, in, in what Brendan Rodgers has done there. Um, but no, that's, yeah, uh, I think it's a strong side. So you think that's a strong side, Gregor? Do you agree? Is there any weaknesses in this team that he's chosen? Yeah, no, I think he's, he's he's done pretty well. There's a few I would definitely swap, but oh, go um, on. Well, I think someone. I think you know, I actually think that this team could be almost made up entirely of Sheffield United, Wolves, and Burnley. I okay. think that I don't think Jack Grealish is underrated. Um, yeah, you know, I think he's he gets he gets. Uh, He's he's been talked about a lot and about mm-hmm. sort of a big big money transfer. Uh, I think Richarlison is he's, he blows hot and cold, so I'm not sure. I wouldn't I'm not, I wouldn't agree with that. I think so, someone like David McGoldrick at Sheffield United, who I know he's not scored many goals, and that's that's what a striker's supposed to do. He scored his first goals against Chelsea recently, but there's a reason he's played all the time, and it's and often the, the reason these three teams are kind of. They are teams. They're the they're the most sort of ultimate kind of teams in the in the truest sense of the world. Word in that they play all together, and there's no real stars. You know, Bulls have got people like Traore who have emerged. But um, I think I think you know Ben Mee as well uh, at, at Burnley centre half. I think Chris Woods up front. Ashley Westwood in midfield. Westwood's got one of the best deliveries from set pieces. I think he's got six assists and a couple of goals. Um, and as I say, Ender Stevens at left back. So there's a few extra names for you. There are a few extra names, and you're right. That's very Burnley and, and Sheffield United heavy that you're going down. You mentioned you'd, you'd add in some Wolves players as well, but surely Wolves haven't gone under the radar. They're, they're not undervalued, are they? No, I don't think the team are. But I think there are certain players. I think João Moutinho is someone who perhaps you know he's he's he plays every single week, um, and. He's playing. He's playing alongside players who are, who are kind of like Traore or Jimenez or Jota, or even Cody, who are talked about more. I think, and Moutinho is a vital cog in that. He's the kind of, he's the holding midfielder at the base of of their midfield. So, I, you know, I think he's someone who's slightly underappreciated. Look, it's hard to under uh, underappreciate any player in the Premier League these days because everyone's poured over in such detail. But I think in that Wolves team, he's someone who. Uh, is really vital, and I think he would be noticed noticed more than a lot of players if he was missed. So, Tom, if I came to you and said, "Come on, who is your number one unsung player of the season?" Who would you be giving that award to? Do you know the really frustrating part? Gregor's just told, said his name. Um, oh, Jao Moutinho is the man. I know. I'm sorry. Sorry, it's Jao Moutinho. Thing um, is, though, Tom, you'll explain it better than Gregor. So, yeah. I, 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 we. That's why we the pressure now. Now, funnily <laughs> enough, it, it, it is the fact. I think he's in the he's in the shadow of Neves a little bit. Um, I think Gregor touched on the fact that Wolves. Do are a team because they're a team on the rise, um, and they they do have these star players of Triore and Raúl Jiménez up front, um, and and Neves is one of the key ones. I think he's sort of seen as um, 
poor man, Kevin De Bruyne, is probably going a little bit too far, but he's he's got those qualities. And so Moutinho, I was going to say he does the dirty work, but he doesn't. He he reminds me of a little bit of a Cesc Fabregas in the vision he sees, the neat and tidy work he does in the midfield. And I think he's also, considering he's, you know, he's an experienced, very experienced player, he's, he's changed his game so much coming to Wolves. Um, he presses so much more. And, you know, 33 years old, <laughs> that's a remarkable thing to do because it, it's built on young, hungry players, Nuno's team. Um, so that's why he stood out for me. Hmm. Gregor, obviously that's who... who... Tom has gone for would he be your ultimate unsung hero or is there somebody else you can think of um, I think I think it would have been between him and Ender Stevens for me I'll tell you another way I think Dan Byrne as well at Brighton he's kind of you know he's the six foot four or five left back which looks quite incongruous on the pitch but he is he's had an outstanding season I think for for Brighton and he missed him when he was injured I think he broke his collarbone he missed him really badly actually Um so I think, no, I think I'm going to go Ender Stevens though, because Sheffield United play in such a kind of that that position is so important for them. And James has picked Baldock on the right, and those those two those two players I know are among the the highest. You know, they 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 play the most crosses per game. Um, they're right up there. Um, so I know he's had a, he's had a, a few assists, a couple of goals this season, and you know this is someone who I think he made his his debut in the Premier League. Um, with Aston Villa when he was when he was a teenager, and he's been all the way down to League Two. Uh, was promoted with Portsmouth, then managed by Paul Cook, then got the move to Sheffield United just after they'd been promoted to the Championship. So it's been a long journey for him uh, to get back to the Premier League, and he looks very much at home in the Premier League. That's been proved this season. So um, I would say Ender Stevens. I love Gregor how you sort of. Talk yourself out of the I, know, yeah. <laughs> I like, oh, Jao Martino. Yeah, yeah, no, Dan Ben. No, I'm definitely going back to Ender Stevens. I mean, you know, very good point at all. Um, just very quickly then, because we've done our unsung players, I kind of want to think, want to know what you both think about your unsung manager then. Is there somebody that's not been given the respect that he should have had? Tom, could you pick a manager? Um, I think, I mean, Ralph Hassenhutl stands out to me. I think he has, he, he, he has, gained the respect especially given what they've they've kind of done since that 9-0 defeat to Leicester um, I think a lot of that respect there needs to go to sort of the club and the board in that they stuck with him and showed the faith but I think that result didn't reflect the work he was doing there I also think as well that given what David Moyes has done getting West Ham over the line and turning turning them into a strong defensive unit. I think that deserves a bit of, well, a lot of credit. Obviously, it's a man, under uh, unsung manager of the season doesn't can't really go to someone who's coming later in the season too much. But So I think I'll stick with Hassan Hootle. Yeah, that's a good shout, I would say. Certainly, when you look at the, their form post-lockdown as well, just one defeat in, in all of their games. Gregor, go on, give us a name. Just one, yeah. I could go Just through a few. Just please, if you wouldn't. <laughs> uh, I'm going with Sean Dyche. I think, you know, he's there. It, it kind of ebbs and flows with him. As people sometimes go, you know, when they they climb back up the table, they're ninth now. Uh, they're tied with Sheffield Sheffield United, who have been lauded, and Wilder's been lauded. Um, 
and you know they they go through they fluctuate in form and sometimes people go you know is Dyche going to go any any further is he going to get a bigger job and then you know they their form suffers a bit but they always just they always rise back they're in the fifth consecutive year in the Premier League uh on the verge of kind of flirting with Europe again the only time that they they struggled in the Premier League was when they they made Europe um a few years ago a couple of years ago but I think John Dyche continuously does a remarkable job and he's had some a bit of a turbulent uh, restart as well. He's name, naming a f- kind of not being able to name a full bench as a message to the to the to the to the owners of the club that he needs investment. You know, he's hardly spent any money and still managing to to produce and to keep Burnley in the top half of the table. So, still, despite him being a familiar face to us now, he's still a, an unsung hero. See, Gregor, you can just pick one name and stick okay. to it. I like that. I like that. (laughs) Do you know what? That is it for now. Thank you to Tom and to Gregor as well. We will be back with you on Monday. In the meantime, make sure you subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times for award-winning journalism on every platform. It's just a pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information. Have a great weekend, everyone. helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone.